1: Months, or certainly years ago, we would not have necessarily forecast comfortably a Donald Trump presidential election victory, nor would we have necessarily forecast Britain's exit from the European Union. Some analysts looked on with dismay, disbelief, a feeling that the British people, or at least a a narrow majority of them, were shooting themselves in the foot. But still, Britain has not left the EU, and the timetable still seems Unclear months on from that referendum. Professor Ian Begg from the European Institute at the London School of Economics and Political Science now joins us on the line for the latest in our year-in-review specials. Great to have you with us.
0: Good good morning, Alex.
1: So, I mean, tying in these issues, uh, they are, of course, an ocean apart, literally, but Brexit and Donald Trump, can, can we in social and political terms talk about them in the same breath and for the same reasons
0: to some extent yes because some of those who voted for brexit have been identified as being the so-called victims of globalization those who've lost jobs who are in industries which have declined and the same phenomenon has been observed in the us but there are also differences in in the in the uk we do a distinction between older people who wanted brexit and younger people who wanted to stay whereas trump seemed to have appealed in many ways to a younger population and that distinguishes the two cases it's probably a bit more subtle than saying they're all the same phenomenon
1: another similarity just to briefly highlight though is the way in which um the remain camp it was heavily concentrated in the london area And likewise, uh, Donald Trump struggled in some of the more cosmopolitan cities of the United States. There's something about that high urban culture that resists this kind of change.
0: Well, to some extent, but uh, London really was the exception in England. It was the only major city which voted for Brexit, whereas all the other large cities, Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, they all voted for, 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 for Brexit. Uh, where London voted for Remain. Yeah, I think we see differences in the US where big cities like Chicago or Los Angeles w- voted for Clinton, and that's the difference you see.
1: Well, why would that be with London then? Why is London so markedly different to, you know, admittedly uh, cosmopolitan uh, cities? It, it would probably sound discriminatory to, to speak of London in those terms, but clearly it's more than just a... a a british capital it's a global capital isn't it like a new york yeah
0: so you could say that london london is one of the global hubs of globalization and that's one explanation for it but even within london there are parts of london where there are relative concentrations of eu migrants which are relatively impoverished such as the east end of london which voted for brexit so it's not as, as simple as saying that there's one city which is in one direction and one city in another direction London's rich. Some of the other parts of England are relatively less prosperous. That can be an explanation. But then Glasgow in Scotland, one of the least prosperous cities in the UK, voted to remain. So it's a very, very patchwork uh, kind of
1: explanation you need to to get this right. Yes, indeed. And speaking of Brexit itself, it's not happened yet. We weren't really expecting it to happen this quickly, but we were expecting uh, possibly even within days of the outcome of the referendum to have some sort of roadmap in place and we've still got nothing like that do we
0: no um... and what was very clear during the referendum campaign was that uh, the government of david cameron quite deliberately did not create plan b they thought they were going to win and therefore they didn't start planning for what would happen if the vote was to leave The new government, led by Theresa May, has come come into power and said, where are the plans for this? Found nothing. So they're having to invent it more or less on the hoof. And that's one of the main reasons why there's been so much delay in triggering the the starting process for, for Brexit, which is known as Article 50 after the article in the European treaties. Britain has to tell the rest of the EU it's invoking Article 50. It hasn't yet done so and has only undertaken to do it before the end of
1: March at the latest. Now, in the end, uh, for me, Professor Begg, my proxy uh, was not able to get to the polling station, so I did not officially cast my vote, I can say. But had I voted for Brexit, I might feel a little betrayed at this point by the disappearance of some of the very prominent Brexit voices. Uh, Nigel Farage... You know he hasn't disappeared completely from sight. Obviously, we've seen him pop up in prominent meetings with Donald Trump. Likewise, Boris Johnson hasn't exactly disappeared. But as far as the Brexit campaign is concerned, we're not seeing those, those big voices and the big promises being delivered at this stage.
0: Yes, but in, that's to some extent, because they've been superseded by the new Prime Minister, Theresa May, saying famously, Brexit means Brexit. The government's position is that Brexit is going to happen so in that sense, the, the pro-Brexit voters can take comfort from the fact that what they're seeing is the Brexit process starting to unfold. It's taking longer than they expected, but the clear political commitment is to make it happen.
1: But can they take any comfort from this idea of this government doing it on the hoof, as you described before? That, that seems very disconcerting to me. Where, wherever you stand on the rights and wrongs of Brexit, this has to be done in something like the right way.
0: Well, I I view it as chaotic. However, if you were planning it and didn't have a starting point, then there's some sense in taking six to nine months to make up your mind about how you want to proceed before starting negotiations. Mm. The trouble with this is that it's, greatly exasperated the other side, the EU27, the the other 27 countries. They say, well, are you leaving? If you're leaving, get on with it. We don't want this uncertainty lingering for any longer than necessary. So there's a tension there between taking time to work out what your position is and exasperating the other side, which makes your bargaining position much more awkward than it might otherwise be if you were trying to do it in a friendly manner.
1: I mean, Despite some of the efforts to to look at uh, legally undoing the Brexit decision. There are many people who oppose Brexit who uh, think that undermining the democratic outcome would be a, a bigger evil, even. Um, Theresa May, curiously enough, was, of course, not in favour of Brexit before the referendum. D- does that make her a, a better or a worse choice to be leading Brexit? Well,
0: there, there are all kinds of conspiracy theories about what her true position was. She was very below very much below the parapet during the referendum campaign nobody really heard her expressing views she she was one of the most senior ministers under the Cameron government and i think the possibly the deal that she did was to say i will not campaign against brexit but i'm going to be i'm going to keep rather quiet on it and we, we all get the sense now that she was very much in favour of it all along that maybe an unfair calumny on her but um, it's one interpretation of the way she's approaching it which is to say there is no question it's going to happen I'm going to make it happen and I want to get the best deal for Britain. That's, that's been her repeated pronouncement on this issue.
1: Yeah, otherwise it looks like political flip-flopping, which, again, I mean, that takes us somewhat off-piece because I'd like to conclude by asking you about the great economic impact that was feared uh, even just with the announcement of this decision. We saw the pound... Fall through the floor um, and and it remains uh, at a far lower level than it ever had been before for me <laughs> living here in Korea, converting one into pounds and vice versa. Is that ever likely to recover or at least in the near future? Well
0: the pound has risen again over the last couple of months because there's been a perception that the British economy had done much better than expected. it hasn 't fallen off the cliff in the way that some of the what 's called project fear projected and with the difficulties in the eurozone in particular the the pound against the euro has recovered by a good uh, 10 percentage points since it's low point of the just after the referendum i think it's very it's very dangerous to project too much on just a few weeks or months of trading of a, a currency you need to take a bit of a, a backward step into say, well, what's it really going to do when it, when it settles down? And we don't
1: yet have a clear picture of how that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I know it's a very narrow view, but uh, to put that in perspective, there were times here in Korea where I could get 1,800 won to the pound, and uh, I'm very lucky if I get much more than 1,400 at the moment. So it's, it's not exactly been wonderful <laughs> in that respect, but yeah, it depends but it, which way you're converting the currency, went. of course. Uh, yeah, Professor Begg, thank you so years. much for speaking with us. Okay, thank you. Professor Ian Begg from the London School of Economics and Political Science, putting things in perspective there with the pound against the euro. Of course, it's not just the pound versus the one that we should be looking at. But still, uh, Britain in very uncertain waters, months after that Brexit decision. This morning continues in just a few moments.